This episode of the Ed Curation Podcast is sponsored by Augstar Reading, the go-to app for tomorrow's readers. Augstar, developed by a fellow in the Orton Academy, follows the science of reading and has a patented multi-sensory learning approach. Their Orton Gillingham app offers a home or school-based full-structured literacy curriculum for early readers dyslexics, English language learners, or struggling students from ages 4 through 13. Augstar is currently offering a 10-day free trial, and as a thank you for listening to today's episode, they're providing 10 free iPad apps and 10 free Chrome web-based apps. Simply go to edcuration.com, search Augstar, O-G-S-T-A-R, Click the Let's Talk button and type in Ed Curation Podcast in the question field. You'll find all of these instructions and links in the episode notes. You're listening to the Ed Curation Podcast. We bring you stories from educational leaders about the instructional movements, resources, tools, and practices that are reshaping learning. So um, it didn't start as an educator. I started as a research assistant at Johns Hopkins University. After I did it for a few years, I mean, this isn't this isn't what I thought it would be. So I went back to get a graduate degree um, in education, and I started as a science teacher, a secondary science teacher, um, and I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. That's today's guest, Stephanie Pratt who spent many years as a high school chemistry teacher, and then she had children of her own. And as so often happens, one of her own children redirected her focus and passion. Her third child out of four, a son, has dyslexia, about which she knew nothing at the time. We didn't know it was dyslexia. That's, you know, a whole other journey of, you know, the school says this, but you believe this, and and it wasn't pleasant. But what happened through all of that is I felt like I needed to understand dyslexia in reading because I didn't have any background. Stephanie returned to school and achieved a master's degree as a reading specialist, and yet she still felt like she didn't know near enough about dyslexia. Luckily, I I live in the Appalachian Mountains, but we're only two hours from Baltimore, and there are several schools for children with dyslexia in Baltimore. Yeah. Like specifically for them. Yeah, that's all they do. Stephanie connected with dyslexia researcher and expert, Dr. Fran Bauman. So I called them, went down, took my son. Yes, he's very dyslexic. What do I do? She said, you need to be trained in this program. We now call it structured literacy. Um, uh, It's Orton Gillingham. So I was trained in Orton Gillingham and I started using it at home with my son. And I'm like, Oh my goodness, like everybody had tried everything with this kid, really qualified, talented teachers who were nationally certified, were just so befuddled by him. And and here's this newbie to the reading world that's trying this program called Orton Gillingham and, and this kid that nobody could reach is learning to read. And from a scientific perspective, it just fascinated me. I just believe that he can't be the only one. He can't be the only one that's struggling. And so I changed careers. And instead of teaching high school chemistry, um, I was teaching at a local 
Catholic school that was K pre-K through 12. And um, we decided to start a program for students with dyslexia. And uh, the first year we had like four middle school boys that teachers didn't know what to do with, you know. And yeah. so that was in 2006. I've been there ever since. And now here we are in 2022. We have five providers of Wharton-Gillingham at our school. We serve 44 students. And I'm very, very happy to say we have shifted from the wait-to-fail model. We now identify students at risk for dyslexia in kindergarten. We jump in there early. Yeah, They get intensive Wharton-Gillingham in instruction so that they don't have to fall behind. As the program at Stephanie's school grew, Fran Bauman became their mentor. And because Stephanie had taken the training so many times, Fran invited her to help train teachers regionally in the Orton-Gillingham method. Dr. Bauman passed away in 2021, and prior to her death, she asked Stephanie to carry on with her work. So I get to still work with students at my school locally, and I get to train teachers all over the country so that they can go out and see this progress, watch the joy of of students cracking the code. So it's been a journey. And uh, I often say to my now grown son with dyslexia, you know, like you put me on this path. Which is so often true that our children end up influencing our, our path in so many ways. So Stephanie, you work with schools all over the country. And I'm curious, first of all, how they go about finding you and your training. Well, up to this point, Christy, they have found us from um, recommendations. When when a teacher finds a tool, they they want to share it with everybody they know. And so our teachers have had great success with their students and they tell their supervisors and then supervisors tell other supervisors of other school systems. So we're really lucky that to this point. And your consultancy, share the name of it once again with our listeners. We're called Bauman Educational Services, founded by a fellow in the Academy of Wharton-Gillingham Practitioners, Dr. Fran Bauman. And your consultancy is not the only place that people can find training for the Orton-Gillingham method, from what I understand, but you're the best. So it's <laughs> about the places that people can find this training and why they should come to you. Yeah. So there are trainings for maybe um, very mildly dyslexic kids that they can get through quickly. They're shorter trainings or there are trainings that are more like, oh, here's the broad topic of structured literacy. Now go apply it to what, what you do. But what I love about our training um, that Dr. Bauman developed is it's intense at 60 hours. So you get the the why and the how. So you get all of the science of reading, the background knowledge, the brain research. But then she created this awesome program. Like you walk out of it, Christy, with a teacher's manual with all of your lesson plans with all of the student reading materials, you don't have to go buy other student reading materials, and a kit of multi-sensory materials to put in their hands, whether you are teaching kindergartners or seniors. Um, so it's fun, it's empowering, it's engaging, um, but it's also heavy in the research. There are options to do this sometimes in person, but always online flexibly as well. So 
they can right. go with that. Yeah, we have hybrid courses where you can do some of your work asynchronously as well as um, synchronously through Zoom, or we have in-person, like you said, or um, we can be entirely synchronous on Zoom, and we try to offer flexible times either during the day, some evenings, some weekends. We try to meet everybody's schedule. Perfect. So having tried so many other things with your son and then finding this that worked, what was different about this than the other things that you were trying? What were they trying in the school where he was? Yeah. They, they were going more of a whole word approach or a balanced literacy approach. And I'll never forget being invited to an evening parent meeting. And, uh, you know, I just thought it was a regular evening parent meeting. And when I got there, there were only 15 parents. I'm like, what's going on? Here it was the parents of the struggling readers. Uh And my first two kids, you know, top of the class. And, oh, of course they are. I'm a teacher. I I don't let my kids watch too much TV and we read at home. And that's why my, I, that's what I believe. If you provide a print-rich, a language-rich environment, your kids will be good readers. I thought that's how it worked. I was a chemistry teacher. I didn't know anything about how reading happened. And so at this this meeting, um, I felt like I was being blamed as a parent that I was the cause of my child struggling because the, not that they said it's your fault, but their advice was read to them at home, point out signs, surround them with books. Like what? Because you were already doing all of that. I'm already doing all of that. I thought it was, and then that's when the us and them started. It's your job to teach him to read. You send your child to me to teach them chemistry. I don't ask you to read chemistry at home and surround him with chemistry at home and assume that he'll absorb chemistry. I teach chemistry, you teach reading. And that's what got me on my journey to to get to Baltimore. And what I learned through all of that, to finally answer your question, what was the difference? Um, He needed to learn the structure of our language. He needed to learn that letters make sounds. And these are the sounds that they make. Every child needs that. A dyslexic child needs it slower with opportunities for more repetition. And they need um, a multi-sensory approach so that they're using all of their senses while they learn. And it works. Yeah. So you make an important point, I think, which touches on the current controversy around literacy instruction. Um, When you say that every child needs this kind of structured instruction, but um, a lot of kids can somehow magically absorb reading. That was um, my first two. And right. And you've done the research, you know, it looks magic, but it's not. They figured out the code they, themselves. Yeah, they figure it out. And about 30% of kids can do that. So when I saw my first two boys do that, I'm like, oh, cool. That works. That's that's how it works. Yeah. That's how it works. And yeah. I think that we built a lot of our reading instruction for many years, we have on that assumption. And it's working for about 30% of our kids. Right, right. Yeah. Which, you know, it's funny. You wouldn't be satisfied with 30% success on anything else. You'd never buy a product. No, two stars. <laughs> it works no. 30% of the time. Nobody yeah, you would. 
you wouldn't buy a pizza at a pizza place that only got a two star rating. You no. know, like, yeah, it's it's mind boggling. So I want to go back to the multi-sensory instruction in a minute, but okay. let's let's stay here because you shared with me earlier that the National Assessment of Educational Progress, the NAEP, consistently finds that approximately 32% of all fourth graders read at below basic level. So that means that about a little less than 70% of our kids are sort of doing that magic. They're catching on to it. They're teaching themselves the code. But by fourth grade, we're still losing a third of them. And this is a national statistic. Do you have any idea how we compare to the rest of the world in this? You know, I think that it's really hard to compare because it's apples and oranges, right? We give our assessment, the NAEP assessment, Mm. and then the other countries have their own versions. And the other thing that makes it complicated, Christy, is um, let's take Great Britain, for example. They've been on the structured literacy um, wagon for a long time. They have treated it aggressively for decades. So their scores are going to look better, is what what I would guess. Or take um, a country like Italy or Spain. Their language is so transparent. One letter makes one sound, and that's all it ever makes. It doesn't, you know, we say, oh, A, A says ah. Well, unless it's sitting beside an I, and then it says A. Oh, unless it's at the end of a word like panda, then it says uh, you know, and, yeah. and sometimes it's silent and you don't hear it at all. And, it, you know, just like, oh my goodness, they, mm-hmm. they don't have that in Italian. They don't have that in Spanish. So as long as, even if you are dyslexic, um, you can probably learn those sounds. And, and get through, you'll just be a little slower. So it's really hard to compare okay. other other countries because of the way they teach, because of the structure of their language. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That makes sense. But surely 32% of our fourth graders are not dyslexic or struggling with any a, some kind of learning disability. Oh, no so way. Yeah. What is going on? And then what is what happens to these students? Are they kind of permanently left behind? Do they ever catch up? Nadine Gab says that um, 70% of students who are struggling in first grade will still be struggling in ninth grade. And any teachers listening to this podcast, uh, many will probably relate to uh, the, the triangle model, right? The um, Tier one instruction, tier two instruction, tier three instruction. You're only supposed to have that little tip of the triangle in tier three. But what you're describing, you know, 30% is not the tip of the triangle. When that's happening, when you when you have 30% or more needing tier three intervention because they are not getting close to their peers, something's wrong with your tier one instruction. Your triangle is getting flipped. Yeah. Okay. So for those people who are listening, which is probably a good percentage who aren't reading teachers, (laughs) describe to them exactly what is the Orton-Gillingham method? What do we mean by structured literacy? What is multisensory instruction? What does this look like? 
I know you teach whole courses on this. Right. So yes, 60 hour courses. So structured literacy is what back in the year 2000, and I know you're saying 2000, that's over 20 years ago. Is this still valid? Yes, it's still valid. Teachers were having this argument back in, you know, the 1990s, the 1980s. Do kids need phonics? Do they not need phonics? Kills the love of reading. But in the year 2000, we thought this was this argument was going to be laid to rest because the government commissioned a panel to do a meta-analysis of 30 years, over 100,000 studies. They told this panel, just look at all of the data that's out there and come back and tell us. And the panel came back and said, every child, every child, in order to have the best opportunity to become a reader, needs five things. And these five things are what we're calling structured literacy or the science of reading. They And it's it's not discovery. You don't want these kids to discover this or be put into little work groups about it. They need to be taught. A teacher needs to teach them these five things. The first thing is phonemic awareness. Think of that as phonics in the dark. Christy, let's do a little phonemic awareness activity. Okay. Christy, say the word cat. Cat. What's the first sound in cat? That's it. That's it. You didn't look at anything. You didn't see any letters. I'm making you aware that that words are made of sounds. Okay. How would you know that? We have evolved as a species to speak for 50,000 years or more, right? Like speaking comes naturally. But only about 5,000 years ago did somebody say, hey, let's take those sounds that come out of our mouths and make squiggles with them. Mm -hmm. And we'll call those letters. And we attach speech to print. That's that's not natural. That's a human invention. So the brain wasn't evolved. Like when a kid says bat and you say, what's the first sound? And they look at you like you are insane. What do you mean bat? That is the word. We have to teach them that that word has individual sounds. Mm -hmm. That's phonemic awareness. The National Reading Panel said, the next thing you need is phonics. You need to show them the letters and show them what, this is what that sound is. This is what that sound. And you need to, you need to introduce them into these letters in a structured way, not a, hey, go grab a book you like. And if you get to a word that you don't know, bring it to me and I'll tell you what that letter says. No, no, no. We're going to do short vowels. Then we're going to do consonants. We're going to build words with those. And then we're going to do silent E. And then we're going to build words. It's got to come in a structure. After they know their letters, you work on the third pillar, fluency. Let's get reading these a little faster so they sound like language. Good. You're reading kind of fast. We're we're looking probably at third grade now, right? Yeah. Let's build your vocabulary. That's the next pillar. Let's make sure you understand what these words mean. And then here we go to fourth grade. You know, this is happening, of course. It's intertwined all the grades. But the last pillar, comprehension. What's your background knowledge? Let me teach you new things. So that's structured literacy. What is Orts and Gillingham? Orts and Gillingham is structured literacy on steroids. Mm. It's You go more slowly. 
you build words, you, you over teach, they over learn because whereas a typical kid might need to see a sound pattern four times, a dyslexic kid might have to see it 14 times. Okay. Maybe 24 times. Yeah. And the multi-sensory means I can just show you Christy, um, M A T and you, you can figure it out and say Matt, because I've taught you each sound. A dyslexic kid has to form that letter M with their hand saying, mm. so yeah. we, we're, it's, I'm seeing it, I'm touching it, I'm saying it, and I'm hearing it simultaneously. So I'm activating lots more areas of the brain. All I'm the more way. likely to remember it now. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And so, and it's not just a program for dyslexic kids. It sounds like it has kind of overhauled your whole, or your school, at least, the your whole approach to teaching literacy and reading for all kids. Am I right about that? Structured literacy has taken over my school. Orton-Gillingham is only for the kids who really struggle because 90% of kids, if you just teach them their letters and sounds and give them a little bit of time, they're going to get it. They're going to get it. You yeah. don't want them in Norton Gillingham. It'll slow them down. It's okay. like being going from East Coast to West Coast. The, the kids who have a typical neurological profile for reading, they get on an airplane, boom, they're on the West Coast. The little dyslexic kids getting their Subaru out back and they're on Route 66. <laughs> and they're going to get there. Eventually. But it's a journey. Eventually, it's a journey, but they're very interesting when they get there. But it's interesting to me that these are essentially the same strategies. They're just amplified and slowed down and because what works, works for all kids. Yes. Yeah. Okay. But you know, that's specially designed instruction. Some kids just need it presented in a different way and they need a little more time and repetition to get Bring Stephanie Pratt's training to your school or district to learn how to bring structured literacy and the Orton-Gillingham method to your readers. Today's sponsor, Augstar Reading, can further support with their Orton-Gillingham app, offering a home or school-based full-structured literacy curriculum for early readers, dyslexics, English language learners, or struggling students from age 4 to 13. This is Stephanie Nislow co-founder and creator of Augstar Reading. And we are proud to sponsor this episode of the Ed Curation Podcast. At Augstar, we believe that all students deserve access to structured literacy instruction. Only Augstar has a patented multi-sensory approach to OG online. Augstar is the go-to app for tomorrow's readers. Receive 10% off Augstar reading at edcuration.com. So what have you seen in classrooms as you, as your school has made this transition? Do you have some favorite success stories besides your own son? Yes. Yes, I do. Every year, the program at our school for dyslexic um, kids, we do a community outreach during October, which is Dyslexia Awareness Month. And usually it's bringing in a psychologist to talk about, you know, the comorbidity of anxiety and depression with dyslexia. Wah, wah. 
kind of a bummer, but people need to understand, look at their mental health as well. And maybe the next year is homework tips for kids with dyslexia and ADHD because great overlap, you know, maybe the next year was math tips. Well, about three years ago, I'm like, you know what? Enough of this. Let's do a celebration of dyslexia. Let's let the community know that, yeah, we've got these issues, but you know what? We're getting over them. Would you like to know what we're good at, right? Would you like to know some of our strengths? So we invited a guest panel of an elementary student, a middle school student, a high school student, a student who's graduated from our program who is now in college, and then a student who has graduated from our program who's now an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And, and they were the panel and a parent of a student. Mm-hmm. And I want to tell you what, watching those kids share, you know, their superpower, their success stories, that's what I would like your listeners and that's what I would like the general population to know. There's not a correlation between dyslexia and cognitive ability. You know, right. in in our country, reading is a proxy for intelligence and that's not fair. Mm. It's not the same thing. These, you know, these are capable, intelligent, talented, creative When the STEM club lets out, you know, on Wednesday afternoons, almost all of them are dyslexic and they're building drones and they're, you know, just reading. It's not their jam. You know, it's hard for them. So such an important point, Stephanie. So thank you for sharing that. And I love that story. I, I do think that inspiration often takes us so much further than worry and concern. I want to circle back to something you said um, about early detection and and what a key that is. It's so important to be able to detect this early because our brains are much more pliable. How can you help us do that? What are we as parents and educators looking for and and as we try to recognize these kiddos a little bit earlier? I'm so glad you asked that, Christy. Um, Educators out there, if you take anything away from this podcast, please take this away. Currently, many schools are doing the wait to fail model. Okay. So a kid doesn't do well in kindergarten and we say, well, they're still kind of little. Let's just keep an eye on them. And they don't do well in first grade. Well, he's a boy or they're a little bit active. And it's really not till second or third or God forbid, fourth grade. We're like, you know what? He's really not getting it. Let's put the interventions in. That's the wait to fail model. And, And if you think about that in the terms of a medical model, that would never happen. Oh, Christy, you're... Yeah. yeah, your blood pressure is up a little bit and your cholesterol's up. Um, I'll see you in the emergency room in about two years. You know, that's not what we do to people in the health model and, and that's not what we should do. Here's what I want educators to understand. We can see these signs before they even pick up a book, which is amazing, right? That's wow. amazing. So here are the things I want you to look for. And you won't be sure, we're not talking about diagnosis, okay? We're talking about identifying risk. It's genetic. It's Mm. genetic. So ask a a parent, um, anybody in the family ever get extra help in school when they were young? Anybody still a bad speller? So family history. Oral language. How's the kid's oral language? 
Was there a speech delay? There's a great correlation between any speech delays or expressive language issues. Now, just one of these is not like, oh, yeah, I'm going to watch this. This is a constellation of indicators. They could have two of these. They could have four of these. Family history, oral language. The big one, phonemic awareness. When that kid comes in and and you say, we're all going to clap out the syllables in everybody's name. Let's start with Jonathan. Everybody clap Jonathan. And some little kids over there going, Jonathan. And they don't hear the beats of the language naturally. Mm -hmm. Keep an eye on that kid. When you've said to the class several times, we're going to talk about first sounds. What's the first sound of baseball? And, you know, most of the kids are saying buff and this other kid's kind of looking around. The kid that's not picking up on phonemic awareness, the kid that might have a family history, the kid that might be using improper pronouns still when everyone else is saying he's going to the bathroom and this one's saying um, him going to the bathroom. Mm. Hmm. That's an oral language problem. The phonemic awareness is, is off. I knew his big brother and he struggled too. Mm. And I've been, in, here's the last one. I have been introducing letters and the other kids are picking them up and he's not. Eh, that's enough. You've got yeah. enough red flags that this kid's at risk. We do so often just write it off to developmental. He's, he's, he's young, you know, or she's young and it's just, they're, they'll catch up developmentally. And it's just not true, right? Well, and I'd rather cast the net wider because what if I pull in a kid that's really just having a bad day? I've used some Play-Doh with him. I've used the Slinky. I've mm-hmm. let him draw a couple of letters in shaving cream. You look at his mouth in a mirror. Oh, you're fine. Okay, get out of here. You yeah. know, we didn't hurt him. It's not like he's tracked for life. We just gave him a little bit of extra attention doing some fun multi-sensory stuff. So yeah. I'd rather err on the side of caution because this is a big deal. There's some research. I can't remember the psychologist who studied the connection between shame and the ability not to read. Like there's this incredible shame. And and so he said, he calls it a trauma. Students who don't learn to read are traumatized. And he said, we as educators, we know kids go through trauma, terrible trauma, deaths and drugs and abuse. He said, the difference about not learning to read is typically if these other things are identified, they can be taken care of and it's a one-time or a, that occurrence is finished in my life and I'm going to box it and put it away. And kids can overcome many, many traumas and be resilient. But reading is a trauma every day. It's everywhere. If you can't do it, you can't escape it. So it becomes like a PTSD kind of thing. Like, where is it going to hit me today? When am I going to be ashamed today that I can't do this basic function? And it's all day, every day. It is. And there comes a point too, Stephanie, if if this intervention doesn't happen for these students early on, then that shame is just magnified because now you're in third grade and you can't read. Now you're in fourth grade and now you're a high school sophomore 
and you still can't read. This is an amazing fact. And this came from Fumiko Hafe. She said that intervention delivered in kindergarten is four times as effective as if it was fourth grade and you just started it. Four times as effective. And Nadine Gab at um, Harvard University, same thing. Dr. Fumiko Heft. H-O-E-F-T, is a researcher and professor of psychiatry at the University of California, San Francisco, and you can find a link to her profile page and publications in the episode notes, along with Nadine Gab from Harvard. Do it K through two. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Like you said, the, the plasticity of the brain, K through two, they're going to make so much more gains, faster progress, and the shame's not there. They're little, you know. Yeah. They're every everybody. They're learning everything great. for the first time, right? Yeah. And the bad habits aren't starting to form now. Those of you who are listening are like, "Oh boy, well I'm not even going to try them." I'm a middle school teacher. I'm a high school teacher. It can still work. It does still work. I have started with kids in the ninth grade, tenth grade. I've worked with adults. I've worked with a 53-year-old that said, I need benefits for my family and I have to pass this test to work the railroad. Please teach me to read. It works. 22-year-old, I can only do the drive through at McDonald's because that cash register has pictures on it and I'm so tired of leaning out in the cold. Please teach me to read. It mm-hmm. works. Usually they're more motivated. It just yeah. takes it takes more effort on their part right. and takes more effort on your part. So get them when they're little, if at all possible. So Stephanie, help our listeners understand if they are in a school or district that does not have Orton-Gillingham available, and maybe they're not using structured literacy in their tier one instruction, and they're wanting to shift and find better resources and training. Yeah, that's an important um, question. Christy, uh, I remember learning about what, why the National Reading Panel was formed was because school districts were using curricula that, you know, when when the publishing company pitched it, they said it was science of reading, or back then the term was um, research-based, research-based, and, and it wasn't. And so who do you trust? How do you know? Luckily for teachers and for um, educational leaders, uh, there are some great resources available for free. Ed Report is out there, and they have free reports that help um, leaders evaluate instructional materials. And the Reading League has this curriculum evaluation tool that's aligned with Scarborough's Reading Rope. So you can go through the curriculum that you're considering and through each level of the Reading Rope. Um, the reading league will say if it has this, 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 give it a green flag. If it doesn't, give it a red flag. So um, I'm glad those tools are available. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention to those of you listening that when you search for core ELA resources on Ed Curation, you're able to view that resources Ed Report score, as well as a badge for the decodable readers listed on the Reading League's website and any other accolades or recognition that that resource has received making it easier for you to find that information all in one place. It's also important to mention that EdReports only reviews core curriculum, not supplemental resources. So if you're searching for supplemental resources, EdTech tools, assessments, or interventions, you won't find them there. But don't let that worry you. 
So not every curriculum is listed on ed reports. What does the school do if their curriculum either isn't listed or if they can't find anything about their current program on those sites? So one of the the districts in Maryland recently, their their curriculum wasn't listed. And what they did was they used the guidelines put forth by um, the Reading League and they created a rubric based on those guidelines. Okay. And then as they went through this particular curriculum, they, you know, rated it according to those guidelines. So, um, yeah, they said it was very, very useful. Yeah, that sounds like it because just because something's not listed doesn't necessarily mean that it's not structured literacy or the, or based on the signs of reading. It maybe just hasn't gone through the process of getting that approval yet or being submitted through those programs yet. So the rubric I think is is super helpful. I think so too. Cuz you need to shore up that tier 1 like we talked about earlier yeah. Christy. If 40% of your kids aren't dyslexic they're not. So if you have that many kids that are struggling to read, shore up your tier one program, um, which we did here in Western Maryland. Um, we shored up our tier one because all of these kids, when I first you know, started, I didn't realize I only cared about the dyslexic kids. I'm like, whatever you guys do in the classroom, do in the classroom. And then when I got the broader picture, I'm like, we're getting too many kids. Oh, it's because we weren't using structured literacy in tier one. As soon as we, you know, did our research, bought, and there are lots of good programs out there. There Mm -hmm. really are. We bought one of them um, ever since. It's almost like clockwork. You know, we get about two kids two kids from every classroom, which is about mm-hmm. the about the average of what you would about expect. About the right statistic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. And then you also offer courses. My dear friend and mentor, Dr. Fran Bauman, she was a fellow in the Orton Academy, which is like, oh my goodness, those guys are the highest, highest you can get. She developed this program 35, 40 years ago. She kept up with the science. And it's not just the science, it's fun. The way she developed it, this training is just super fun. We do it on Zoom and teachers get little kits with Play-Dohs and Slinkies. And, and you know, I'm like, Christy, take your Slinky and do this. Now ask Jacob to do this. And you really leave feeling excited and, and empowered. For our listeners, you'll find links to Stephanie's newly built website, her contact information and course information in the episode notes. Is there anything else you'd like our listeners to know, Stephanie? Learning to read is, it's like rocket science. It's so cool to understand how the brain does it. That That's the thing, Christy. You know, I've been doing this for more than 20 years. Um, we used to use the pendulum. You know, oh yeah, here we go. We're back to the phonics pendulum. And in five more years, it's going to yeah. swing back. It's true. It's true. It, and we see it. And and it always goes way out before it kind of settles uh, back in the middle. And we call it something new, but it's not new. Right. Was it the International Dyslexia Association Conference? They said, as far as this pendulum idea about phonics versus whole word phonics versus just immerse them they said the pendulums can't move anymore because you put a kid in a functional mri and you watch what's happening in their brains while they read and they'll do phonics and they'll do whole word you can't argue it anymore Mm. 
the pendulum is is finished. Like in medicine, you know, they used to do this, they used to do that. Oh no, we got this new scan and it showed us exactly what's going on. Now we know what to do. We're never going to go back to that archaic way of, of doing it. So I'm pretty excited about that. And what I see happening in the field is that they're kind of finished arguing about phonics and now they're moving their talk up into, well, what is the best way to teach vocabulary? What is the best way to teach comprehension? And that's really exciting to me because it's it's been settled. The foundational yeah. reading skills has been settled. Now we can start having the big conversations about what about the kids that read and don't understand what they read? How do we help them? Um, so, but like anything, it's like changing, you know, turning the Titanic. We need all the schools in the country to get on board with those foundational skills. So you high school teachers out there, you will never have students anymore that can't read the words in front of them. That's our goal. Right? Yeah, that is our goal because they these high school teachers are content experts who are not reading teachers. They weren't taught how to teach reading. And then they get these kids in their classrooms who can't decode and they're supposed to be teaching British literature. It's yeah. insane. I know. It's, and, and so what I would say to them right now, give them some headphones and use assistive technology. Yeah. Imagine they're blind. Just get the words into their brains. Into their heads. Yeah. Until we fix the system, please let them use technology. Okay. Yeah. And there is so much good technology out there. There is so much great technology out there, and you can find all the options easily at edcuration.com. You can also filter searches for structured literacy curriculums to make sure your tier one instruction is evidence-based and research-backed. One of our favorite reading technologies here at Edcuration, and one that Stephanie and her colleagues use and highly recommend, is today's sponsor, Augstar Reading. Wanda Wilson, a retired special education director for a large school district in Colorado, said, I love this opportunity to use Orton-Gillingham methods to support reading growth with my grandchildren. Thank you for your efforts to give students what they need for optimal growth and development. You can learn more about Augstar Reading at Ed Curation. And to inspire you to check them out, Augstar is providing 10 free iPad apps and 10 free Chrome web-based apps. Simply go to edcuration.com, search Augstar, O-G-S-T-A-R, click the Let's Talk button, and type in Edcuration Podcast in the question field. You'll find all of these instructions and links in the episode notes. We're glad you joined us today, and we hope you'll be back again next week to reshape learning with the Edcuration Podcast. Podcast.